Good morning, church. Uh, those of you that are here and those of you that are tuning in at home. My name is Brian. If I've never met you, I'm the pastor here at Trinity City Church. A couple things before I pray and we turn to this text in the book of Ruth. First of all, uh, we've had a hot mess of public messages about what to do with COVID uh, in this last week. I was really excited last week if you I uh, could tell that there was more of a clear plan and kind of a pathway and timelines and then uh, there's a, been a bit of a uh, different message whether you're talking about the federal, state, or city level of government and so we as church leaders will be meeting on Monday which we were planning to do anyway but now we're going to try to sort out uh, all these different uh, guidances and messages that we have been hearing as we think about our summer especially and trying to make a decision that's driven by the data, uh, driven by our context right here, and driven uh, mainly about care for you and this ministry and this neighborhood as our primary goal. Our primary goal in making these decisions is to be driven by these things, but we, we always make decisions because we want to care and nourish you spiritually. That's what is at the forefront of our decision. A lot of people process this information differently, but these church leaders, when they gather on Monday morning, I want you to know, we just go to the throne room of the Lord on behalf of this congregation because what we care about when we're thinking about these things more than anything is that we're pointing you to Jesus, that you're being nourished by the gospel, and that you still have fellowship and community with one another. So as we uh, prepare to do that on Monday, please be praying for us as well as we're trying to discern uh, what a pathway forward could look like in the days ahead. We are in the, a new sermon series on the Book of Ruth. If you're just joining us uh, today, uh, you just missed one sermon. Last week we had an overview of the Book of Ruth and just considered the first five verses. Uh, and we will do the entire chapter of uh, chapter one today, and then we essentially just go through each chapter in the coming weeks that will get us into the first part of June. So before um, we launch into uh, Ruth chapter one, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, thank you for this gathering of people, both those in this space and those who have paused right now in their households to consider you and to consider your gospel. We believe, Lord, that you are still at work and you have never ceased being at work over this last year and throughout our lives. You're calling, you're forgiving, you're raising dead faith from the grave you are at work in your son, Jesus Christ, through the power of your spirit. And so we pause right now and recognize these truths. Your living God, who is not silent and who speaks. So we pray now, speak to us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Health experts were concerned about the epidemic of loneliness before this COVID pandemic. Up until the present moment, uh, and, and even in 2019, this was a concern, but then through 2020, up until the present moment, uh, the pandemic has been a, an especially bitter time for those who have been feeling lonely. In 2020, Time, the magazine, had an article highlighting this reality, and they opened by highlighting the life of this 41-year-old teacher who had been living alone since her divorce 
and she had an appreciation for uh, this life uh, because she thought uh, like this is a, a kind of independence that I really, really enjoy. She had this outlet to see friends and family, so she had a social outlet, uh, but it was balanced with this newfound uh, individual emphasis on me time. But then the pandemic takes it all away for this teacher, and she's quoted in the piece saying this, quote, some days I smile and feel okay, and others day, other days I curl up in a ball and wonder if this goes on too much longer, will I be able to take it mentally? Can I last sanely living alone for months, a year? And it's been a year, and although there's signs that many of these realities are going away, for some folks, it has been a long and bitter season. In fact, it's more common for U.S. households to have one person. 28% of U.S. households uh, consist of just one person. In 1969, 17% of U.S. households were uh, con consisted of just one person. And each story and situation of this 28% is unique, and this particular person is being highlighted because this is a challenging time for those that are living alone. But it's not just exclusive to those who live alone. You can have loneliness even if you live with other people. In fact, a survey in 2019 said that 65% of those living with two or more people felt lonely compared to 69% of those who lived by themselves. And even looking at this generationally, it's a very shocking reality. If you look at the so-called greatest generation, 72 plus, that generation, 38% of that generation feels lonely. If you go to Gen Z, that number goes up to 79%. A key factor in all of this and how to combat and endure in seasons of bitterness and suffering uh, and to try to avoid intense loneliness, the key factor, it's not the only factor, but a key factor that Time Magazine highlights is social support. They point to studies that show, and here's a quote from the piece, people without social support have a lower chance of full recovery after a serious illness than people with a strong network. And that's just looking at illness, and then they're looking at how that applies to the realities that we are dealing with right now. And a key factor of being able to endure and push back on the struggle of loneliness is whether or not, 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 not just if you have people in your life, but are they a social support? Are they committed to you? Do they love you? Do you lean into the difficulties of life together, and a strong social support system doesn't make a bitter life go away, but it can help you endure. It can help you put one foot in front of the other, because life can be bitter, and we need loyal relationships to endure, and Ruth chapter 1 gives us an example of what that can look like. Let's go ahead and set up the story in Ruth chapter 1. Let's look at verse 6 through 10. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. 
Then Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your, your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept out loud. And, he, and she said, and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. Naomi is a main character in this story, and her husband and her two sons in the previous verses were highlighted because they left their homeland to go to this different country, Moab, because they were experiencing famine in their homeland. And while in Moab, Naomi loses her husband and the two sons that, uh, her two sons that married two Moabite women. And in this culture, in the ancient Near East, to have this happen to you means that your entire social safety net is now gone because you have lost your family line. She is now alone, and the days ahead for her are going to be difficult and bitter. But here in verse 6, a little bit of good news arrives. The Lord has provided food for his people back in Judah. So Naomi plans to go back home, go back to her home country, because there is this glimmer of hope. And these two Moabite women who married Naomi's sons who have passed away, these daughters-in-law go with her. But some, at some point during this journey, Naomi pushes back and says to her daughters-in-law with firm tenderness, go back, go back home, go back to your mother's home because you need to remarry and find rest in the home of a husband. You need a life with safety and peace, and may God give you that. And note that it isn't just some type of idolatry of like a husband that's going on here, that, that that's what's going on. Remember, again, I need to emphasize this, the point of them drawing attention to these realities is that to be without this family line means that this, this sense of, uh, of safety, security, and peace that comes with that social safety net is gone. And so she wants them to go back home because their risk of this bitter, insecure life it goes down considerably if they go back to their mother's home in their own country because they have a better shot at remarrying. And that's what Naomi wants for them. That's what she uh, prays that the Lord would give her daughters-in-law. So that's what's going on. So one of the things that we need to highlight here is that uh, uh, Naomi kind of knows what it's like to go to another place uh, that's not your home, that's not your culture, and all this uncertainty that comes with it. So she is essentially telling her daughters-in-law, don't come home with me, because you're gonna experience that at a different level that's even more intense. This is going to be a difficult place for you. Now, in this congregation, I think there's, there's part of this that you can already relate to because uh, this is one of these, these uh, kind of odd communities, I think, in St. Paul where there's a good chunk of us that aren't native Minnesotans. I've talked about this quite a bit. Many of you have come from different cities, have come from different states, and especially many of us have been uh, privileged to have relationships with different uh, migrant families that have come to Minneapolis-St. Paul or international students that even provide more of an intense perspective of how difficult it is, even if you have a church family, to go from one even state culture or one country to another. It's difficult, 
and, and, that, and especially difficult if you have no relationships to help you endure in a different and strange land. And Minneapolis, St. Paul, and especially Minnesota can be a different and strange land. This is a strange, passive-aggressive land, right? With long goodbyes and brutal winters and this word oofta that just flies off everybody's lips and it's just like different meanings and it's just a confusing place. So that's, that's how you can relate to this to a certain degree. Or if you've ever just leaned into a conversation that you've had with somebody from a different country, you can get this perspective and understand how difficult and weird navigating these things are. And Naomi is highlighting all of this and then to add to this reality is that there isn't any security that goes with it. Ruth, uh, in Ruth chapter one, verse eight, there is this big uh, theme that's highlighted uh, by Naomi where she says, may the Lord show you kindness. She's saying this to her daughters-in-law, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. That word kindness in the Hebrew language is loaded with a lot of meaning. It's a word that means God's faithful, faithfulness to his promises, his loving kindness in the life of his people. It highlights who God is, that he's a compassionate and gracious God who is slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, and he freely commits himself to redeeming a people for himself. That's all the themes and theology that's behind this word of God's kindness, his kindness, his covenant faithfulness, his loving kindness and commitment to us. And Naomi is highlighting that although these are Moabite women, there's a sense that they exemplify this characteristic in their lives because of their kindness, faithfulness, and commitment to her. They're showing more loyalty to Naomi than to their own people. Yet, Naomi is encouraging them, go home. And they release their emotions in this moment by crying out loud together. Ruth chapter one, verse 11, Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? I'm going, I am, am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grow, grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpha kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. Naomi is a little bit more forceful with this pushback uh, against her daughters-in-law going with her. She asks a, a series of intentionally ridiculous questions with obvious answers. Of course, Naomi's too old for sons. And even if she married right away and had a son, her daughters-in-law would not wait to remarry and wait to marry them specifically. So there's no reason for them to go with Naomi. She can't offer them any security, any rest, or any peace. Her life is more bitter than theirs. God's hand is against her from her perspective, and they should go back to their homeland where they can find security, rest, and peace. And again, they release their emotions by weeping. Orpha is persuaded and she kisses Naomi, says goodbye, and leaves. 
But what about Ruth? What does she do? Verse 14. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpha kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. And so now these two are being contrasted together. And it's not trying to make, make one look bad because she went back to her people. What she did by going back is completely reasonable. This is something that, that is, is an okay thing to do. It's an understandable response, and she did nothing wrong. But when you compare that response to what's going on with Ruth, it intensifies the loyalty and the commitment of Ruth to Naomi. Ruth stays, and she clings to Naomi. But Naomi continues to push back. Your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. Now, how does Ruth respond? Is she finally persuaded? And here we get to the heart of not only chapter 1, but the most popular verses of the entire book of Ruth. Let's read these slowly. And I want you to really listen to these words. And this is how I want you to listen to what Ruth is about to say to Naomi. I want you to picture somebody in your life with a high degree of loyalty to you, maybe a treasured friend or friendship in your life, and picture that, and picture that person who is so dear and close to you saying these words to you in the most bitter moment that you can imagine. Picture that, and then you'll get the weight of these words. Ruth 1, 16 through 17. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where, where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Would that not just take the wind out of the room if somebody said that to you in one of the most bitter and lonely moments that you experienced? That is the type of loyalty that helps us endure in seasons of loneliness, in seasons of suffering. So Ruth begins her reply by pushing back on Naomi's constant request for her to go home. Ruth says, stop asking me to leave you. This is essentially what she's saying, because she feels this sense of obligation to Naomi. And then Ruth makes this commitment to her, which highlights her loyalty, kindness, and faithfulness. faithfulness. Ruth says, just as I shared in the joys and heartaches of your life before, so too I will continue to share every experience of life with you, Naomi, no matter what it is, good or bad. And she even wants to be buried next to Naomi, which is a declaration that she considers herself part of this family, that they should be buried next to one another. And then the heart of her commitment is this phrase, your people will be my people and your God, my God. Ruth is completely turning away from the security of her own people 
the rest of her own land and the comfort of her own culture and religion, and she is committing herself to a poor widow in a different culture who has a different faith. That's what she's doing in that moment. And she seals this commitment with an oath. May God do whatever severe thing he wills to me if anything separates you from me. That's how she is all in on this. She's abandoning everything she knows, every cultural identity that she has to cling to Naomi. She is giving up everything from her way of life. It'd be like a Minnesotan giving up fishing, the state fair, Prince, and Lutheranism, right? Giving all those things up. And they commit to another friendship, right? Where they travel to this distant land where they wear cheese on their heads and worship the pagan gods at Lambeau Field, right? That would be the equivalent of what's happening. This is a radical commitment and change in the trajectory of her life because she is all in on this friendship. And let me think about, and let's think together about how to apply this in relationships that we have. It's really popular to use these verses in weddings, and certainly the principles of this text can be applied to a wedding or in a marriage. Yet it's important to continue to remember that in this text, in this story, Ruth and Naomi have a different type of relationship. And I think it's even fitting that maybe in American culture, the only type of relationship that can come to mind with this level of intense loyalty is a marriage. But one of the things that scripture is giving us in this passage and even in the whole theology of God's covenant kindness to us and how we express that to one another in different relationships, one of the things it's highlighting is that it isn't limited to intense loyalty within marriage alone, that you can have other relationships that are intensely loyal and loving and committed to one another through life's circumstances. In his commentary on Ruth, Daniel Block highlights four elements of this pledge that Ruth makes, and I want to adapt those elements and apply them practically to friendships, to loyal friendships that we all should have and that we would thrive by having. So here's one element. The uncertainty of life doesn't change the relationship. That's one thing that Ruth is saying in her pledge. No matter what life is going to throw at us, it doesn't change the status of our friendship, of our relationship, of my companionship with you. The uncertainty of life does not change the certainty of the relationship. Sometimes we have relationships with friends and life gets hard or life gets busy and we stop checking in. We stop leaning in with those individuals. Or other situations, you have the type of friendship and you get hurt. And so you turn away from that friendship and you give up on it. And I'm not talking just a type of hurt that can be labeled as abuse. If you have an abusive friendship, you have to get out of that and run the other, other way. But I'm talking about this common occurrence that when you start to go deep with somebody, it also means that they know your faults. They know your issues. They know your struggles. And they might become the first person that highlights that and that sometimes would freak you out and you turn away. But those circumstances in true covenant friendship don't change the status of the friendship. You lean in, you stay committed, no matter the uncertainties that life 
or emotions throw your way. The uncertainty of life does not change the certainty of this type of friendship. That's one principle we see in this pledge. Another one we see is that there's some type of formal commitment to another person in this friendship. There's not a lot of cultural ways in at least our culture that we express a commitment and companionship to a friend. Maybe back in the day, you, may, you might even see old movies where they do this, where there'd be like two, two young boys that are, uh, establish a friendship by becoming blood brothers. You remember this, where they cut their hands and they shake their hands together and they mix the blood and say, we're committed, right? And there's like almost this like cultural covenant way of saying, I am all in with you. Now, I'm not telling you to bring that back. Some of you, I can see, visibly got disgusted with that example, right? So we're not, that's not the, the point of it, but the point of it is that there was this kind of like right that they did and expressed of a formal commitment and a friendship. Uh, there's a book by uh, theologian Wesley Hill named, uh, called Spiritual Friendship, and in that book, he highlights some old liturgical um, services that he uncovered where people had this formal public service where it was two friends that were committing to each other in a loyal uh, companionship publicly before their church. And this was a friendship uh, union, it was, and it was this non-sexual commitment of loyalty to another friend. And there's this old liturgy uh, that, that there's evidence that churches used to practice something like that. Now, in most situations, you will never experience any type of formal commitment to a friend on that level. But have you even just told somebody that's a friend of yours that you have a deep bond with, simply, I love you, and the commitment that comes with that? Because I know even, like, like with some, depending on the crowd, that can seem kind of odd to tell another man, for example, who's a friend, I love you or another sister in Christ, hey, like pause and actually seriously say, I love you. But those are the types of words that express a commitment to another person. Or just even pause when you're hanging out with a friend and have a moment of gravity where you say, I am all in on this friendship, just so you know. I'm all in. No matter what life throws our way, I just want you to know I'm all in no matter what. So those are two elements that we already see in this pledge that Ruth has. We see the element of the uncertainty of life doesn't change the relationship and a formal commitment is made to another person. Three of four things I'll highlight is a commitment to the same core faith. You see that Ruth does that. She is going to commit to the core of Naomi's faith. Her God will be her God. Now, this doesn't mean in application that you don't have friendships with those that don't share your faith. That would fly against a lot of other scripture that says you lean in and you love your neighbor as yourself. You establish relationships with all people because all people are made in the image of God and you want relationships that are deep, whether people share your faith or not. That's what Christians are called to do. It's just the human thing to do. Yet, yet, if your faith, and for all Christians this is true, if your faith is the core of who you are, then you can only go so deep with somebody who doesn't share that faith with you. There is a level of intensity that you have when you share life and you share so, much, so many things with a loyal friend and you share Jesus together. And there's this eternal weightiness that is brought to your friendship that is countercultural 
and transcendent because of who Christ is, and especially for Christians, it's just so much about who we are is wrapped up in our union with Christ. And so you can only go so deep with somebody who doesn't share that with you, which means, for example, that it really, that example, I think, highlights this hard reality that many of us have experienced of why it's so hard if you've ever had a friend of yours or a family member of yours abandon the faith. You might still have a relationship with that person, but you also feel like there's a sense that you've been abandoned, even though they might have not literally abandoned you, but this core of who you are and who you worship, they have turned their back on the Lord, and it hurts, and there's this sense of loss that happens because that's the intensity that is brought to any relationship when Jesus is Lord of that relationship. So a commitment to the same core faith will intensify any relationship, especially when it's the Lord Jesus at the center of it. Now, number four, and finally, in Ruth's pledge, there's a, an awareness that God is witness to this commitment. That's how she ends it. She knows that God is, is seeing this commitment and she wants him to hold her to it. Now, this means, again, in our daily life, there is often not a formal commitment. But hear this. The Lord knows the people to whom you are responsible. He knows it. He knows the deep friends in your life. And his knowledge of that means that he's involved in a way that should give you a heavy sense of responsibility to not abandon that relationship, even when things get hard, even when there's a global pandemic. That you lean in, that God cares and is aware about how you are treating that friend in your life. So here's some questions to ponder this season, especially as the pandemic is slowly thawing out. Have you dropped the ball on a friendship in this season? And if so, what are you going to do about that? And what is the Holy Spirit asking you to do? Do you need to be more explicit with a friend in your life about your loyalty to that person? Is there a friend in your life that you've had that's been super intense and you've never said, I love you to that person, or never had a pause and had that moment where you just said, in all seriousness, look, I love this relationship and this friendship, and I just want you to know I'm all in. If you have a deep friendship in your life that you've never done that with that person, is the Holy Spirit calling you to be uh, more vocal in that commitment? A final series of questions. Do you have a friendship where you've never talked about your faith? And why aren't you taking it deeper? Why don't you want to share the core of who you are in Christ with that person? Invite them into that and see how that friendship intensified and is glorified because of the Lord Jesus being the center of it. Now let's look at how uh, chapter 1 ends. Let's look at verse 18. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty 
has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. So Naomi stops pushing back on Ruth, and they stick together. They travel back to Bethlehem and Naomi's home, and the town is they stir, and they say, is this Naomi? Can this be her? And there's a couple things that are probably happening with that reaction. One, maybe they had heard through the grapevine what had happened to her, and they're surprised to see her return. In addition, and this might be a likely thing that's happening as well, Naomi, as you can see, because she says this earlier as well, she's been through a lot. She is now Mara because her life is so bitter. From her point of view, God has brought back an empty and afflicted and misfortunate life to her, and that's what she's experiencing. She has been through it. And probably what's happening there, and this is being expressed in um, the reaction of this town when she went back to her hometown, is that, have you ever had the situation where you looked at somebody and you can just see physically, wow, you've been through a lot. Like this health crisis, this stress, this has changed you. They almost maybe look older because of the amount of stress that they have been bearing in their life. If you don't have an example of this, let me, let me show you a picture. This is a real picture of pastors. Uh, this is a picture on the top of pastors back in 2019, and then what pastors have started to look like in 2020. So that's the point, right? Sometimes like stress, isolation, the bitter life can get to you, right? Right? I'm, I'm a, I, I don't know if you know this, I'm a 21-year-old pastor and I look like this. This is... <laughs> This has, been, this has been a hard year, right? And that's what's going on. What happened to you? What happened to you, Naomi? That's how bitter her life has been. But this is what's different in this situation. Naomi now has Ruth. Her relationship is now secure with this other loyal individual. And Ruth to her is now family. And in fact, it's more important and stronger than the love of several biological family members. That's how intense this relationship is between Naomi and Ruth. Now let me conclude with uh, these verses, and before I read them, I want to set them up in a similar way that I set up that uh, series of verses where Ruth was given her pledge to Naomi. And I asked you when I read those verses to listen to Ruth's words and imagine a person in your life saying these things to you in the most bitter season you can imagine. Now I'm about to close this sermon reading the words of Jesus Christ from John chapter 15. Note now his commitment to you because this is the very word of God. These are the words from the lips of Jesus and he's saying this to you right now with whatever you're experiencing. And when I read this, highlight and listen to the Lord Jesus and what he's saying to you. Note his commitment to you, this love that he has for you, and how this love is going to result in love and commitment to those around you. Now pause. The Lord Jesus has this to say to you. John 15, 9 through 17. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. 
If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give to you. This is my command, love one another. Brothers and sisters, if you're lonely, you're not truly alone. Christ is with you, he's committed to you, and he loves you. And he's calling us now to apply this same commitment and kindness in the relationships and friendships around us. Let's move now to a time of communion together. We continue to take communion each week, uh, something that we practice because it's another way that we engage in the message of the gospel in a visible and tangible way. If you're here, the way we'll do this in a moment, uh, we'll do a, a prayer and then we are going to take uh, communion elements that should be in your pew and we'll take both the bread and the cup together at the same time. If you're at home and you have elements set aside for the purpose of communion, go ahead and get those. If you're here or you're tuning in and you don't identify with the Christian faith, feel no pressure or obligation to participate in this time. Continue to ask questions and pursue what the Lord may be calling you to do. If you're at home and you are a part of a different church and your church leaders practice uh, communion in this unique time differently, we uh, advise you and encourage you to follow their teachings. But if you are visiting here in person or you consider Trinity City Church your home, we ask you to participate in this time together. As a prayer to prep us for communion, because communion is communal. You're doing this with brothers and sisters in Christ that you have committed to by virtue of, of being here, by calling Trinity your home. And what seals these bonds and these friendships together is the blood and broken body of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as I said in the message, there's, there's not a lot of cultural things that you can point to where you're publicly making a commitment to somebody else who's not a spouse. But one of the things I've highlighted in the, in the previous uh, message, uh, the previous sermon series rather, is uh, covenant membership. And when you are a member of this church, one thing that we do is we read and we reaffirm this covenant uh, every year that we are pledging formally to our brothers and sisters in Christ at this local church that this is our commitment to one another as long as the Lord has us here. And it's this formal confession of loyalty and kindness and faithfulness to one another. So to prep our time uh, of, of taking the blood and, and uh, the body together, I wanna read that uh, covenant out loud as a, as a prayer to prep our hearts. And most of it, if you've never heard of this before, essentially just plagiarizes scripture all over the place. So it just essentially paraphrases passage after passage after passage of this is what God calls his people to do in committing ourselves to one another. So 
let's bow our heads and reflect on this commitment that God has called us to have towards one another. Having been bought, brought by God's grace to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we now, relying on the Holy Spirit, establish this covenant with one another in order to carry out the mission of Trinity City Church, which is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ, who join in the renewal of our city and world through the power of the Holy Spirit. In all we do, we will aim to glorify and enjoy the God of our salvation, from whom and through whom and to whom are all things, to him be all glory forever. We will eagerly maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace by walking together in love and in the Spirit and by putting away all bitterness, anger, and injurious speech. With humility and gentleness, patience and love, we will be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. We will carry each other's burdens, rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. We will teach one another and train our children in the instruction of the Lord, seeking to walk in a way that adorns the gospel of Christ before our family, friends, and neighbors. We will strive to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age as we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the Lord, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We will not neglect to gather together, but will support and treasure the biblical preaching of the whole counsel of God the faithful observance of baptism in the Lord's Supper, the unleashing of God's power in prayer, and the loving exercise of church discipline. We will proclaim the gospel in the name of Jesus to all people, personally as witnesses in our own context with conviction in the gospel and compassion for our community, and corporately as a church, ascending church that multiplies new churches, churches locally, nationally, and globally. We will contribute cheerfully and generously to the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the advancement of the gospel both to our neighbors and to the nations. And we will, if we leave this community of believers, unite as soon as possible with another church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. In all these things, we rely on our God who has made a new and everlasting covenant with us, saying, and they shall be my people, I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way and they, that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will not turn away from doing good to them and I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good with all my heart and all my soul. In and because of the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.